Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Through his prophet Isaiah, God says to his people, Those who are of a fearful heart, be strong. Do not fear. Here is your God. He will come and save you. And the psalmist says, Happy are they who have the God of Jacob for their help, whose hope is in the Lord their God. See, hope is the antidote to despair. You know, um, during different seasons, we either sing or recite the prayer attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. And we say, let us be those who are the people who give hope to others instead of despair, that despair may be replaced by hope. There was a movie that I was watching. I don't know about you, but when you're on a long plane journey, um, sometimes I can settle down and read a book, and other times it's just an impossibility. With an over eight-hour plane journey on Tuesday, I found myself flipping through all of the movies. And I don't know if you've uh, flown recently, but there are a number of them. So you're kind of overwhelmed by choice. And, uh, and so I, I, I got on one, and um, I have no idea why I did this, except Jay will say, because it said George Clooney as one of the actors. He said, I said that at the 8 o'clock service, and he lost the rest of the sermon thinking about it. So maybe, who knows, uh, but it's called Tomorrowland, and um, it's kind of based on Disney's Tomorrowland. Do some of you remember Disney's Tomorrowland, Jetsons on steroids? You know, that whole kind of future world where, you know, people are, are just levitated or using jetpacks, and then there are railless trains and all of this kind of stuff. So, so kind of that's the background. Keep that in mind. I'll try and be brief on the synopsis. Um, so the George Clooney uh, character is now older. He was probably born in the 50s, so he's a little bit older. He's kind of got a scraggly beard a little bit, and which is white, gray. Yeah, but it keeps going back to him as a child. And he was one of these uh, children, inquisitive children, who was good at science and had developed this jetpack. Um, unfortunately, it went horizontally rather than vertically with him. But it shows him traveling to the World Fair, and um, he's bringing this in as one of the inventions. And in the course of that, he's given this token, this coin with a symbol on it. And in touching that, all of a sudden, he finds himself transported to this Tomorrowland, to this future world. And he's just taken up by this because this, this is what he's dreamed about. This is, a, this is what he would love to be participating in. And, um, and then at the same time, there's another protagonist, there's another character, main character in this movie, which is a, a young girl who's probably um, either in high school or just leaving high school, who also 
um, is very, very good at science. And her father's in NASA, and she goes, and anyway, that's a whole different side of the story. But the two of them, and so she's also given this token. Um, how they get it, I can't even get into It's a robot, but um, anyway, it looks like a human. Um, uh, I don't know whether I'm making you want to see the film or not see the film, and I'm not too sure which way I would go on that. But anyway, so this token takes her into this Tomorrowland, and she also is just taken uh, with this, this utopian uh, tomorrow. Well, it, it comes down to the fact that as a young boy, he actually you know, was in this dimension of this Tomorrowland. As he got older, he had invented a machine that was able to predict the future. And he had been uh, sent out of this world because in predicting the future, it had predicted an apocalypse. And so he's now in the throes of absolute despair. He's in this house in the middle of nowhere. And because he's so bright, he's got all of this apparatus around so that nobody can get into the house. But the house is taken over by flickering screens and a huge countdown machine. And so the machine is counting down the days to what his machine has predicted as the end of the world. And so the screens just show all of the mayhem that's going on around the world. And he's living in the middle of this. So you have this amazing image of a new world, of a tomorrow land, and, and what's actually happened to him. Um, well, the two converge, the two stories converge. She ends up outsmarting all of the things that he's put around the house to keep people out. And uh, they, they end up in this Tomorrowland, but it's now absolutely destroyed. There are still some people, of course, the evil people are still there, but, the, but it's destroyed. They get there, by the way through a rocket that's underneath the Eiffel Tower that's been designed by Tesla and some others. It's really kind of a strange sci-fi thing. But anyway, um, so they go up into space and they come back into this dimension. And um, she realizes now that this is what he's invented. And that's why he's been sent away. Um, and so she now realizes that he is saying there's a countdown and this will happen. And she says, I'm an optimist. I don't believe that. And what happens in that instant is that the countdown clock turns back. It turns back just for, for a fraction of a minute. And he realizes that actually there's a backfeed into this machine and that everybody's despair is actually creating that which he thought he, the machine had predicted. And so, of course, they go and they destroy the machine and there's other side stories and everything. But I, I thought it's such an image of, first of all, the difference between hope and despair. Now, of course, this is based on human hope, 
a hope of humanity being able to pull itself up by its bootstraps, if you will, of humanity itself being able to create a utopian society. And uh, we, we know, I think, that that's a false premise. But there's part of that story that is an image for us because underneath that, the truth is that there is a hope that there is a a truly founded hope that we have, not in our own humanity, but in God and in what he has said. And, And we need to choose that. We've been given free will, and sometimes it's really difficult to hang on to hope especially when we're suffering, especially when all kinds of things are coming against us. But we do have a hope. Paul says it this way. He says, We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance Perseverance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. If you've ever heard some of the televangelists, they will be preaching a prosperity gospel. That's not what the writers of the New Testament are talking about. Paul says there will be troubles. Jesus says there will be troubles. Take up your cross and follow me. But there is a hope. And we can choose hope. Don't let anybody tell you this is just the way I am. I'm my genes. I can't change. How many times have we heard that? You know, we've been told that as a lie because the more and more that we have a people researching into neuroscience is that the brain is actually neuroplastic. You know, read Dr. Timothy Jennings or Dr. Caroline Leaf and you will read about negative thoughts that actually kill off the brain, part of the brain, dendrides, but that hope and faith actually grow the brain back again. So even though parts of it can die, that doesn't mean that it's dead forever. It can grow back again. The brain has been designed by our amazing creator God to be healed. But hope doesn't always come easily. But it is there. You know, God, uh, science, I've said this so many times, is just catching up with uh, Scripture. God said in his word, be transformed by the renewing of your mind through the power of the Holy Spirit, of course. We don't do it. We We can't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. It's how much we allow God's Holy Spirit within us, how much of our willpower is placed at the authority of the Holy Spirit 
in the Holy Spirit's power to work through us. We choose to hope. We choose to look at God, to look at his character, not at humanity, but at his promises of who he is and what he has done. And that is the basis for our hope. Because it's not just for this world, it is for a tomorrow world. But it's not for a tomorrow world that looks like the Jetsons on steroids. It's for a tomorrow world that God's going to create. So our hope is just not confined to this life. It's, confined, it's, it's not confined at all because it is eternal. Paul says again in his letter to the church in Rome, um, that, um, sorry, in his letter to the Corinthians, that if for this life only we hope, we are the most to be pitied. But indeed, our hope is so much bigger than that. Our hope exceeds this life, but is of this life, but goes beyond this life. We are to use our wills to stand in the hope that is in God alone. It's, it's, it's what James is saying to the church in actual fact, is, is that they have the will to change They have the will to be conformed. He said, my brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? See, he's saying that those acts of favoritism, what you're doing in your churches, that's the way the culture out there works. But if you really believe in Jesus, then you won't be acting that way. You will be acting Jesus-shaped lives, but it will take your will to do it. It will take your will to change how you act. A Christian's actions must align with their faith or the faith is empty. It's just a verbal assent to, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. But James says, without your actions, then the faith is without foundation. Old ways of relating to the world must be replaced. See, it's no longer appropriate to use prestige or wealth or personal power or class or race or social status to predicate how we treat other people. In the early church, apparently, If um, members came through the doors into the church, then the ushers would seat them and would look after them. If a stranger came through the doors, particularly if that was a poor stranger, the bishop would get up from the bishop's seat and go and welcome the stranger and seat them. Such is our life together that there are no distinctions, no favoritism on whatever grounds. Because if there is one Lord, and there is, 
And we are all being conformed into his image, which by the power of the Holy Spirit and our wills we are, then there can be no favoritism. There can be no partiality. If somebody comes in with rings and fine clothing and somebody who is poor comes in, our stance must be exactly the same. Whoever they are, come welcome in, be part of the community, which is Christ's community, his very body, his people. Even the collect talks about this. He says, as God resists the proud who confide in their own strength. He resists the proud. He does not let them have full sway, whatever that pride is based on, whether or not it is based on prestige, personal power, race, socioeconomic background, whatever it is, he resists that. But he never forsakes those who make their boast of his mercy. He never forsakes those who make their boast of his mercy. See, the Syrophoenician woman trusted in his mercy, trusted in Jesus' mercy. She even had that amazing dialogue with him, which at first blush looks like he's just kind of rejecting her outright. He's come all the way from Jewish territory into Gentile territory, into Tyre and then Sidon and the Decapolis. Um, But she knows. She's heard. What has she heard? He heals the sick. He looks after those who are outcast. And so she comes. Now, would she have gone away with her tail between her legs if when she had heard Jesus' response, she didn't hear a little bit in his voice of a kind of an exchange there that had some compassion in it? And so she responds, yeah, even the dogs. I'm a dog. That was the name of Gentiles. And his response is, your daughter is well. She trusted in his mercy. Do we have the same trust? Do we have the same hope? We should do. Because we've got the Old Testament prophecies that have been fulfilled. We have the promises fulfilled. We have a certain hope. What in the Old Testament they were just hoping for, we have seen fulfilled in Jesus. We've included the Isaiah passage today in the readings because it speaks exactly to what Jesus then does in the, in the second part of the Gospel reading. Isaiah says, Do not be afraid. Your God will come and save you. He will open up the mouths of those whose tongues are twisted and tied. He will unstop the ears of the deaf. And Jesus, in Gentile territory, to a Gentile man, puts his fingers in his ears and spits on his tongue. And exactly what God had prophesied through Isaiah comes to pass. See, we have a sure hope. The promises that God has made have come to pass and those that he has made that for a tomorrow world will also come 
to pass. We have no need to be blindly optimistic like the characters in Tomorrowland in humanity or in humanity's ability to create a human utopia. In fact, as the psalmist says, put not your trust in rulers nor in any child of earth for there is no help in them but there is help and there is hope in God alone. And he says to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong. Do not fear. He will come and save you. Happy are those whose hope is in the Lord their God and who live Jesus-shaped lives because of that hope. So, beloved, be strong. Do not fear. Place your hope in the Lord and do the hard work of conforming your will to his in the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen.